This morning we're starting a new series, and uh, we're going to be looking at the book of Proverbs. Now, if you don't know how I typically preach, typically what we do is, we'll, if we're looking through a New Testament book, we'll start at the beginning and then work our way to the end, and then, uh, then after that we'll go to an Old Testament book, and we kind of go back and forth, starting at the beginning, working our way to the end, and then sometimes in between books we pick a particular topic. So we just recently finished a series in the New Testament, and then we studied for a few weeks the concept of the mind of Christ and what that looks like. And now today, we're starting a new series in the book of Proverbs as uh, we look at the wisdom that the Lord has for us there. And I thought it was interesting, this morning, I noticed this even as I was driving over here to the church, for decades, there's a concrete company here in Langhorne that uh, typically has a sign out front with movable letters, and they either put a Bible verse on it or a word of encouragement that points your heart to the Lord. And they they updated the sign for today, and as I drove by, it said, I, I thought this was very great, it was great timing, and I did not coordinate this with them, but it said, need, wis- need wisdom, read the book of Proverbs. And I was like, we're going to do that right now. So I was all excited about that. Maybe I was more excited about it than you are. I don't know, but, <laughs> but we're going to start today in Proverbs chapter 1. So if you turn there with me, Proverbs chapter 1, I'm going to read from verse 1 down to verse 19, although the bulk of what we look at today is going to be basically from verse 5 down to verse 19. But let's start with, with verse 1 of Proverbs chapter 1, and it says this, the Proverbs of Solomon son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason." Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole, like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. And in just a moment, we're going to pray together. But as you can see from the portion of Scripture that we just read, today we're talking about this idea of not allowing ourselves to be easily led astray. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the privilege that it is to be able to look at this portion of Scripture together today and to begin our new study 
in the book of Proverbs. And as we do so, we pray that our hearts and our minds would be open to your wisdom, that we would receive the wisdom that you so graciously supply. And Lord, we're so grateful that we can just spend some time today looking at what your word states. Lord, we know that it would be very easy for us to ignore these things, but you don't want us to ignore these things. You want us to apply these things to our day-to-day lives. And so it's a great gift that you've given to us to be able to spend some time reading through and studying the book of Proverbs. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd position our hearts now to receive the truth of your word, and we thank you for the privilege that it is to be able to look at this together. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me give you a little bit of background on the book of Proverbs as we kind of set up our time looking at this, because we'll be looking at it for a group of weeks here, quite a few weeks. What's the purpose of the book of Proverbs? I don't know if you've ever taken the time to read the book of Proverbs through. It's a, it's a book that some people have told me that they have read for much of their adult life, and, and uh, some people, even when they were, were rather young, began reading the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs, by the way, it's 31 chapters, and so most months of the year, if you really wanted to just take one chapter a day, you could read through the book of Proverbs and do it that way. I know many people have told me that that's a pattern that they've incorporated into their, into their walk with Christ. But what's the book of Proverbs? Well, the book of Proverbs is fascinating. It was written to impart godly wisdom to us. But it's wisdom, and, and you'll be able to see this in just a moment, it's wisdom can only be fully appreciated and understood when it's coupled with genuine faith in the Lord. If you read through these things but don't possess faith in the Lord, they will hit your mind and hit your ears differently than if you read through this wisdom and, and it's coupled with genuine faith in the Lord. But if we read the pages, and if we implement what we read, we'll be spared from making all kinds of unforced errors. We'll be saved from a lot of grief over the course of our lives. I think we'll also get ahead in very meaningful ways in a shorter period of time by incorporating the wisdom that's contained in the book of Proverbs into our lives. Now, who wrote the book of Proverbs? Well, the answer to that is given to us in the verses that we just read uh, when we looked at verse 1. The primary person who wrote the book of Proverbs is King Solomon. Solomon was king of Israel uh, in about 900 B.C., right around that period of time, and he was granted great wisdom by the Lord. And he also compiled, and you'll see this as we go throughout the book, because there's Proverbs that Solomon shared, but then there's also wisdom that he gleaned from others that are compiled in here. So he he also compiled the, the wise words of other individuals and included them in this collection. And this collection of divinely inspired wisdom, it was a great gift to the people of Solomon's day. People even marveled over the things that, the, the wisdom that the Lord spoke through Solomon. It was a gift to them, but it's also a gift to us as well, living in the era in which we live in. So we would do well to heed the wise counsel that's contained in this collection of verses. Now, when you read throughout the book of Proverbs, you'll notice that it covers all sorts of topics. Basically, every major topic of life is referenced in the book of Proverbs. Solomon speaks about the nature of our relationship with God. So that's an important topic. It's the most important topic. He speaks about the nature of our relationship with God, but then he also segues from that into speaking about things like our behaviors, our character, our motivation, so the things that drive you in your day-to-day life. He speaks a lot throughout the course of the book about finances, financial wealth, things of that nature. He speaks about relationships and marriage. He speaks about ethics. He speaks about the process of raising children. 
all sorts of topics that are immediately applicable no matter what season of life you're at are covered in the book of Proverbs. And as we examine some of the wise subjects that are addressed in the book of Proverbs today and throughout the coming weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to learn more about what it means to walk in the wisdom of God, what it looks like to grow in godliness, what it looks like to avoid costly mistakes, and how we can genuinely get ahead in life as people who love Jesus Christ. Now, a few things are brought up in this portion of Scripture that we looked at today that I want to highlight for us is some of the foundational topics that are covered in the book of Proverbs as we set up our time of studying this. And one of the things that that Solomon brings up in this book is our posture toward God and, and the position we take in regard to receiving wisdom. And so we'll start this off by asking a question. Are you positioned to welcome or resist wisdom and instruction. So be thinking about that as I reread verses 5 through 7. Are you positioned to welcome or to resist wisdom and instruction? Let me reread those verses. Verse 5 says this, Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. And then look at what it says in verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So we're asking this question as we start off our study here. Are we positioned to welcome or resist wisdom and instruction? One of my favorite pictures of my youngest daughter, my daughter Julia, was taken uh, about 12 years ago at Core Creek Park, so right across the street. And she was a little less than three years old at the time. And Andrea and I had taken the kids over to the park to just run around a little bit and to play in the fields. And we also brought along a small football. I I bought a a small, it was like a maroon-colored football that was, you know, made of like real football material, but it was a little bit smaller. And I used to play with the kids with that and uh, show them how to throw. We would play catch and do stuff like that. So we brought that with us. And I was throwing that back and forth primarily with Jay and Daniel. And uh, But then I also offered to throw the ball to Julia. And again, she's a little bit less than three at the time, and she agreed. She said, okay, I want to do it. But I could tell she was very nervous as I offered to throw this ball to her. And as she did so, what she did, she did what every kid does, right? Every time you tell a child you're going to throw a ball to them, what do they do? They kind of go like this. They squint their eyes, and they put their arms out like this, and they may or may not stay straight. They may turn at the last second because they're afraid or, or whatever it may be. And so she put her hands out in front of her, she squinted her eyes, and then she nervously waited for the ball to come crashing into her arms. And I I always like that picture because she made herself ready to receive the ball in in, in anticipation of its arrival, but she kind of tilted herself a little bit at the last second because she was nervous. I couldn't resist. I had to show you the picture. It's one of my favorite pictures of her. Isn't that great? My wife captured the picture at the perfect moment. You could see the ball coming, and she kind of tilted herself, but she's ready ready to take it. She's ready to receive the ball. She's ready to... To, to catch it sort of in her arms, right? She's positioned to receive it. Well, we're looking at Proverbs here, and we're talking about wisdom and receiving wisdom. And so let me ask this. Is it your belief that the Lord wants to bless you with wisdom? Is that a priority for the Lord? Obviously, it's a priority for the Lord. No matter where you read in Scripture, He's trying to impart wisdom to us. So as, as we're at the outset of the book, are your arms out? Are you, are you ready to receive it. Are you positioned to welcome it? Or are you kind of turning your back a little bit? Or are you nervous to receive it? What if, what if something we get at in the coming weeks 
challenges a preconceived notion? What if it confronts a preferred thought or a preferred method? Bob's smiling over there. He's like, you know you're going to say it, aren't you, Pastor? I, I'm going to say it, Bob. I'm just going to say it, whatever it is, right? But what if, what if we come across something in Scripture as we go through the book of Proverbs that challenges us? Or what if we come across something that encourages us? Or what if we come across something that enlightens us? Regardless, are our arms out? Are we ready to receive what the Lord has for us here? I, that's the posture I want us to take as we approach this book. As Solomon begins this collection of wise counsel, what he does is he shows us how to be ready to receive it. And he invites the wise to hear and to increase their learning. So he's saying, if you're already wise, if you're already somebody who embraces the wisdom that the Lord supplies, continue to do that. Hear what's about to be shared with you. Increase your learning. He also encourages the understanding among us to obtain additional guidance. And I like the fact that he does that because no matter where you are on your journey with the Lord, if you just met the Lord and you're, you're beginning this, this process of growing in wisdom through, through faith in Jesus Christ, or if you're somebody that's known the Lord for many decades, we always have room for growth this side of heaven. We should always have a teachable spirit, a teachable heart to receive more that the Lord would teach us or help us learn to apply in a new way as we, uh, as we move on to each new season of life because you begin to see things a little bit differently as you move into additional seasons. And so you have Solomon encouraging us to kind of be positioned in that way to receive additional counsel, but then he also draws a stark line. And the line that he draws is a line between those who are in a posture to receive divine truth and those who turn their backs on wisdom. That's the line he draws here, right? Either you're in a posture to receive it, or you're going to turn your back on it. And Solomon's very careful to say here, particularly when we look at verse 7, he's very careful to say that a person can only experience the true fullness of wisdom if they respect the Lord, who is the source of wisdom. If we have genuine faith in the Lord... If our hearts genuinely revere Him, we're positioned to hear His counsel, and we're positioned to drink it in deeply. But fools despise godly wisdom, and fools turn their backs toward wisdom's source. And so that's the line Solomon draws here to explain to us the difference between receiving wisdom and rejecting wisdom. And by the way, I don't believe that we should use the words fool or idiot very casually. And hopefully you'll notice in my vocabulary that I mean what I say when I'm saying that, because for the most part, I've actually attempted to weed those two words out of my vocabulary unless I'm using them in their proper context, like it's described here in this portion of Scripture. Because a true fool, like Solomon describes in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, when you're calling somebody a fool, you're saying you're, you're essentially someone who is condemned to not know the Lord. You're, you're, you're somebody that's condemned to live an unbelieving life. You're a person who is faithless. That's what Solomon is saying here. That's what he's conveying. That's how that word gets used in Scripture. If you're calling somebody a fool, if you're calling somebody an idiot, you're saying you're in a position of unbelief. I'm condemning your level of faith. So I don't use that word casually, and I think Scripture teaches us not to use that word casually, but a fool utterly rejects the Lord. A fool lives as if the Lord does not exist. You know, what does Scripture tell us? A fool says in his heart that there is no God, right? The, that's what the fool does. The fool says there is no God. So again, I've, I, I've chosen to stop using that term casually 
because it's not a term that I believe is meant to be taken lightly. It's a term that should be reserved for someone who actually lives in the arrogance of unbelief and not just used rather flippantly. So again, Solomon draws the line. And the question for us as we read this is not to so much think about it in terms of other people, but it's really to be asking along the lines of, of, you know, as we look at this, what side of that line am I trying to live on? You know, it's very easy for me to look at other people and point out their faults. Is it easy for me to also take some self-assessment? What side of that line am I trying to live on? What side of that line are you trying to live on? Are we positioned to welcome or resist the wisdom of God? Now, when you look at the full counsel of Scripture, it gets very specific about wisdom, even in regard to our relationship with God and salvation. When you look at the full counsel of Scripture, we're shown that we will never touch the depths of wisdom until we come to a place of genuine faith in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the wisdom of God personified. Jesus is greater than Solomon. He's the one, Scripture tells us, who created Solomon. He's the one who who created the world that Solomon occupied. And I love what Scripture tells us in regard to Christ and wisdom. Look at what Scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. It says, And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. And I love what Jesus said in Matthew 12, 42, because in this context here, he was trying to help people understand who he really was as he's standing in front of them, teaching them. And he says to them, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. So Christ made it abundantly clear that when he came, he didn't just come to to supplement something. He's the one who created Solomon. He's the one through, you know, Jesus Christ is the one through whom salvation is found. And if we want to explore the depths of wisdom, if we we truly want to um, understand what it means to walk in wisdom, we need to recognize that in Christ Jesus, we have the privilege to experience the true wisdom of God. And so in this portion of Scripture, uh, and as we look at some of the supplementing portions of Scripture that's illustrated for us. Now, Solomon continues to develop this thought, and he shows us the application of wisdom in a very clear and very obvious way when you get into verses 8 through 14. And one of the things that he shows us here, and I, I find it very interesting, and I'll mention this again in just a moment and kind of elaborate on it a little bit, but I find it very interesting that this concept, this application of wisdom is mentioned at the beginning of the book of Proverbs, not just later in the book of Proverbs, although it's illustrated there as well, but it's mentioned right at the beginning. And one of the the immediate applications of Proverbs that Solomon is hoping, as the Holy Spirit inspires him to write these things down, that he's hoping that you and I will grasp, is this idea that the company that you keep will either lift you up or it's going to tear you down. Have you ever heard someone say that you know, let's say you have the ambition to be a a great leader or to serve well in whatever positions the Lord opens up for you to serve. And they say that the, the capacity that you have or the way in which you conduct yourself is going to be highly influenced by the books you read and the company you keep. You ever heard that, that phraseology, the books you read and the company you keep are going to have a high degree of influence on how you navigate life. 
Well, we're reading Proverbs, and then right off the bat in Proverbs, it tells us, be careful of the company you keep. The company you keep will either lift you up or it's going to tear you down. Look at what it says in verse 8 of Proverbs 1, going down to verse 14. I'll reread it for us. There it says this, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all, all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. So you see Solomon illustrating this idea of the company we keep having an impact on us, whether it's going to build us up or whether it tears us down. In this particular context, it's the idea of company tearing a person down. Now, uh, I, I, I know several others do this uh, as well, but when possible, I try to grab lunch with some of the men that I'm friend, uh, some of the men that I'm friends with in our church and in our community. I try and do that with with some regularity. It's been obviously a little bit little bit challenging to to do that quite as much in recent days. But I always find it to be a very good way to connect. Uh, I think sometimes it can provide a great opportunity for leadership development. I think it could be a great opportunity for discipleship. And our church actually budgets uh, a little bit to facilitate discipleship in that kind of context. And years ago. I used to carve out time to meet with somebody. This is a bunch of years ago, but I used to carve out time to meet with somebody, and eventually I had to stop. And what happened was this. I noted that every conversation I had with this person eventually transitioned into all the things he disliked about other people. You ever meet somebody like that? All they seem to ever talk about is what they dislike about everybody. And, and then when he would run out of other people to cut down, eventually he would do me the favor of telling me all the things he didn't like about me. <laughs> so it wasn't a very edifying um, experience. And he, he did this under the, the guise of trying to be helpful. You know, I'm just trying to help you out. I didn't really feel too helped after those lunches. I usually just felt like terrible. I, I, I felt discouraged. I, I, I always felt very demeaned whenever I would grab lunch with him. And so eventually I decided it would be best to stop meeting for lunch because the company you keep will either lift you up or tear you down. And I noticed that that man, he was very good at tearing everybody down. It's like everybody that came into his life, he had to find a way to tear them down, myself included. And then when you look at the concept that Solomon references here, it, early in the book of Proverbs, when you look at verse 8 and following, he references that same kind of concept. And I think it's particularly interesting, as I mentioned just a few moments ago, that he mentions this concept right at the outset of the book of Proverbs. It's as if he's trying to tell us that the company we keep is such an important concept for us to understand that it will deeply impact our openness to receive and to apply wisdom depending on who we're surrounding ourselves with. Some of the best people, by the way, though, that he gives an example here to surround yourself with are your parents. You know, if you have the opportunity to do so, surround yourself with your parents. By the way, uh, young people, your parents are paying me right now to say this, so I'm just letting you know. Actually, they're not. But when you look at what, what, what uh, Solomon says here, he's, he's saying, like, good wisdom is found in your parents. It really is. You don't always realize it until you become a parent. But good wisdom is found in your parents. Some of the best company you'll keep is the, the parents the Lord's given you. And Solomon encourages us to be people who take counsel from our parents. 
The Lord's given us parents as a gift. Uh, they've lived through every season we we're, we're presently living through. I think heeding the counsel of our parents can save us from many needless mistakes, could save us from all kinds of regrets. And I think it's comical how at one point or another, we've all probably made the mistake of convincing ourselves that we know more than our parents, right? Have you ever done that? I mean, I'll just confess that I've absolutely done that. And I joke with my dad about it now because we can think of some very specific examples uh, of, of times where I thought, oh yeah, I just, I, I know more than you, dad. And there were, there were conversations like that, even in my, my childhood and my youth. And he's like, really, do you now? <laughs> and then you go and you make some dumb mistake that you could have avoided. And it's like, all right, do you want to, do you want to tell me again how much you know or how wisdom, how wise you are at this season of your life? And, and it's funny that as a, as a child that I would even dare to think that somehow I knew more than my dad, because practically speaking, that doesn't make any sense. People don't tend to get dumber the longer they live. You know, think about this in regard to yourself. As time goes on, do you just find yourself getting dumber and dumber? Is that the pattern of your life? You know, are you getting dumber? Some of you are looking at your spouse. Stop it. All right? Stop that. All right? We're trying to edify and build up and inspire here, right? But the truth is, you know, as, as we go through life, we, it's not like you get dumber and dumber over time. What happens is throughout the course of our lives, we accumulate experiences, and build relationships, and endure hardships. And as we react to those things, coupled with faith, we tend to grow in wisdom as well. And if your parents, in particular, are people who know and love Jesus, the wisdom that they're sharing with you is also coupled with faith. So what sense does it make to reject that wisdom? It doesn't make any sense to reject that wisdom. Only the arrogant reject godly counsel when it's being freely offered to them, and they do so at their own peril. And by the way, that counsel that we receive from our parents, that can stick in our thinking long after our parents are even still living. Just the other day, I was talking to my dad. It was actually last Sunday afternoon, as I think about it, and he was really, really tired. He had uh, he had been out really late the night before, and he was really, really tired last Sunday. And my father told me that he was so tired last Sunday morning, and he didn't want to get up and go to church because he was just so exhausted. But as he woke up that morning, he said, all I could hear is my mother's voice in my mind saying to me, and I guess she used to say this to him a lot, she'd say, she'd say to him, son, the Lord gives you 168 hours every week. Is it too much of you to give one of those back? Can you not just give one of them back? And so my dad, in his 70s, got out of bed. You know, my grandmother, she's presently in heaven, but my dad, her, her voice is still in my dad's head. And the memory of her counsel still gets him out of bed on Sunday mornings. And I got a big kick out of that story. She spent her life building her children up, and that legacy still has an impact on their lives even now. But again, as we already said, not everybody in your life wants to build you up. Not everybody you know wants to build you up. Plenty of people will extend an invitation to you for you to join them in whatever mess they've immersed themselves in. Don't take that invitation. It's much easier to be dragged down than it is to be lifted up. Don't take that invitation. Solomon shares an example of companions who give counsel that's contrary to the advice that's given by godly parents. 
And he speaks of men who try to entice someone to join them in, in maybe ambushing an unsuspecting person and stealing what they have. And he speaks of those who attempt to entice you with worldliness. And he encourages us not to consent to their allure. Now, I want you to think about the people that you know, and maybe even the people that you've chosen to associate with over the course of your life. Your, your life. Who thinks so little of your well-being that it doesn't trouble their conscience to drag you down. Do you know somebody like that? If you know somebody like that or several people like that, don't go in the direction they're trying to take you. That's what Solomon's saying here, right? He's saying if somebody's trying to drag you down away from the godly counsel of your parents, away from the, the, the wisdom of God, if they're trying to drag you away from that, don't go in the direction they're trying to take you. Now let's ask the reverse of that as well. Who loves you enough to lift you up? Who in your life actively goes out of their way to show you that they love you enough to lift you up? When you identify those people, recognize that they're a gift to you from God. Walk with them. Take their counsel. Make the point to reciprocate by giving them a, a glimpse of the heart of Christ as well as they're giving you a glimpse of the heart of Christ. Give them a glimpse of the heart of Christ. Walk with them. Take their counsel. Let them lift you up as they're trying to do so, and then you, in return, seek to lift them up as well. And this is caution that Solomon's giving to us at the early, in the early portion here of the book of Proverbs, because it really does have a foundational difference on your quality of life and your willingness and ability to apply the wisdom that's coming up. Now, there's one other thing that he brings up in the portion that we're looking at today that I want to highlight, and that's this. He brings up to us, when you look at verses 15 to 19 of Proverbs chapter 1, he makes it clear to us that you'll never get ahead by stealing somebody else's blessings. Never going to get ahead by stealing somebody else's blessings. Look at what he says in verse 15. I'll read verse 15 down to verse 19 one more time. But he says this, My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. So again here, Solomon describes those who attempt to ambush and rob an unsuspecting person. He reveals the outcome of that manner of living. Those who live this way will eventually find themselves ensnared in the same traps that they tried to set for other people. And their attempts to damage and destroy other people are only going to leave them damaged and destroyed. I was thinking about this recently when I read a story about two well-educated but young lawyers who decided to participate in several criminal acts. Maybe you saw this in the news. It's been on the news uh, over the past few months in particular. But one actually took a firebomb and threw it into a police car and thought she would get away with it, but her actions happened to be caught on video. And I couldn't help but think about the fact, when her mugshot was being shown on TV and all these things were going on, couldn't help but think about the fact that she had just spent many, many years going through all kinds of schooling. And you think about all the expense that she probably endured, and probably her parents endured as well, to go through law school and everything else that went along with that. And she was doing this all in preparation for a lucrative career and had now been hired to serve in that lucrative career. 
and then threw it all away by trying to harm somebody else. In a moment in time, throwing a firebomb fire into a police car, trying to harm, maybe even trying to murder somebody else, without thought of all of that, and then throwing away all that preparation, all that wisdom, all that counsel, all that opportunity that she had been given by trying to hurt somebody else. How does a person really get ahead in life? You know, as I look around the room here, and even as I think about those of you that may be joining us on our live stream today, we are all at different seasons of life. And it would be fascinating, I think, to ask that question to people at various seasons of life, to go downstairs and maybe ask some of the youngest children here today, how does someone get ahead in life? You know, maybe to ask some of the, the youth groups, some of the teens, some of the high school students, those of you in your early 20s, those of you in your 40s, those of you in your 60s or 70s or 80s, how does somebody really get ahead in life? I wonder what our answers would be. There might be some nuance and some difference of, of opinion. I have to tell you, I'd be more inclined to ask those of you that are in your 80s, how does someone get ahead in life? Because you know, don't you? I mean, you've seen it, right? You've seen what works and you've seen what doesn't work. I think that question's answered for us, by the way, as we look throughout the book of Proverbs here and the examples that were given here. But even before we fully grasp that answer, I think this passage makes it clear for us that we won't be getting ahead in life by trying to steal somebody else's blessings. I mean, we could even look at that just, just as like a baseline process of elimination. It's like, all right, well, whatever, whatever the answer to that question is, all right, we'll, we'll get to that. But I know one of the ways I won't get ahead in life, and it's not go, I'm not going to get ahead in life by trying to do something that's harmful to somebody else, by trying to steal somebody else's blessings. You know, in this particular portion of Scripture, you have a group of people who seem to be really coveting the belongings of somebody else. And so coveting another, you know, like as we think about this, right, as we think about how this plays out, coveting another person's gifts, coveting another person's talents, coveting another person's treasures, all that's going to do is leave you feeling jealous and empty. It's not going to help you get ahead in life. It's just going to make you feel jealous and empty. I think it's much better to celebrate another person's blessings than it is to condemn them for receiving them or to try to steal them as your own. And I think what happens is when we, try, when we fail to celebrate the blessings that somebody else has received, I think we're also showing that deep down, and think about this for a second, I think when we fail to celebrate the blessings somebody else has received in their, in their life, we're showing that deep down we're actually dissatisfied with the blessings that we've been given. We're saying we're dissatisfied. It's like saying to the Lord, I realize you've been good to me, but you probably could have been better than this. Now, could you imagine saying that to the Lord? <laughs> but isn't that what we're saying when we covet somebody else's blessings or try and steal something from somebody else to make it our own? We're basically saying, yeah, Lord, I see what you've done for me, but you could have done better. I mean, it's okay, but not great. And effectively, the people that Solomon's describing here are, are living their lives with that posture, where they're not content with what the Lord's blessed them with, and they want to bring harm to somebody else to try and acquire their blessings as their own. So I can't imagine saying, Lord, you obviously must not have my best interests at heart. You know, could you imagine posturing your heart to the Lord and saying, Lord, you... You must not have my best interests at heart. Well, when you look at what Scripture actually tells us, it tells us that Christ truly does have our best interests in mind. He has our, our best interests at heart. And He shows us that in so many ways, but He also shows us that when He allows us to receive and enjoy what we've been entrusted with. 
think it's interesting when you take this concept into the New Testament uh, and you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, let me read for us verses 4 through 7, because in that chapter, it talks about the spiritual gifts that were given through faith in Jesus Christ as the Holy Spirit enables us to have these supernaturally equipped abilities to serve other people. And he gifts us all differently. He gives you one gift, he gives me one gift, he gives somebody else a gift, and he gifts us all differently so that we'll serve one another and bless one another. And we're not supposed to be jealous of one another's blessings. We're just supposed to use what we've been given to be a blessing to somebody else. But in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 7, Paul says it this way. He says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit... And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And Paul's saying there that the Lord gifts you, and He gifts me, and He gifts other people. He gifts all believers in such a way that it promotes the common good. And so I'm not supposed to look at your gifts and say, oh, I wish I had, I had what the Lord blessed you with. And you're not supposed to look at my gifts and say, oh, I wish I, I had what the Lord blessed him with. We're not supposed to be covetous of each other's gifts. We're just supposed to be content with however the Lord equips us and blesses us and then use those things not with a consumption mindset, but with a generous mindset where we say, as Christ has been generous to me, so too will I be generous to the people that he's brought into my life. And Solomon brings this concept up here in this portion of Scripture by showing us the peril of living with the opposite posture. So let me say this as we finish up this morning. Throughout the course of your life, you're going to encounter many different influences. Some of those people are going to try and build you up. Some of those people are going to try and tear you down. Some of those people are going to try to point you to Christ. And some of them are going to try to convince you that your heart can find contentment apart from Christ. Ask the Lord for His help to help you filter these influences so you are not easily led astray from a sincere walk with Christ. Ask the Lord to help you filter your influences so you're not led astray. Trust the Lord. Revere Him and allow the healthy respect that you have for His power to form the foundation of wisdom that your life is to be built upon. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for Your Word and for the privilege that You've given to us today to be able to start off our day looking at what this portion of Scripture reveals to us. Lord, we're grateful for the fact that that through the power of your indwelling Spirit, you point us in the direction of truth. You give us godly counsel. You give us godly wisdom. You illuminate our minds and our hearts to the truth of what your Word is conveying. You help us not to be easily led astray. By your grace, Lord, we pray that we would apply the things that, that you've revealed to us in this portion of your Word, because it's applicable to us, Lord, whatever season of life we're at, if we're at the, the youngest or the oldest season of our life, or if we're somewhere in between. It applies to us all, every single one of us, no matter what stage we're at. Lord, help us to filter our influences. Help us not to be easily led astray. We want to walk in wisdom, and we know that that only is truly facilitated as we know you through your Son, Jesus Christ. 
So Lord, help our posture not to be one of arrogance. Help us to have teachable hearts. Help us to have our arms wide open before you to receive what you've, what you've offered to us. And help us to joyfully accept it. Help us to joyfully receive the wisdom and counsel from your spirit, from your word. Because we know, Lord, that this is a gift. Thank you, Lord, for your love. And thank you, most importantly, Lord, for demonstrating that love to us through your Son, Jesus Christ, who came to this earth to visibly demonstrate the nature of your wisdom to us. And Lord, even though many people in this world look at the work of your Son and they they see his crucifixion and they see his ministry and they treat it like it's folly, and they question his resurrection and they doubt his return, Lord, to us, to those of us who know you through your Son, That's not folly at all. That's ultimate wisdom. And we pray that we would live our lives with the posture, knowing that we have the power of the resurrection within us, knowing that your Son, Jesus Christ, will return just as He's promised to do so. So as we anticipate that day, we pray that we would be joyful. We pray that we would be people who have have the wisdom that you supply and that we would learn to, to apply it and live it out and, by your grace, even model it and teach it for others. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.